0: word today is from the book of Genesis. You'll remember that in our journey through Genesis, we have now been journeying with Jacob as he's left Canaan and has made his way back to Paddan Aram and his mother's family. And we pick up the story here in verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. And Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons, and therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time... I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and then she ceased bearing. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father we hear these stories and uh, they seem to have happened so long ago and so far away and We wonder at times how they fit with us in our current circumstances and our current culture. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is eternal and that your Holy Spirit can take this word and use it and work it so that we um, can have it applied to our lives. So I pray that you would give Pastor Andrew special strength and a special measure of that spirit today as he shares with us what you have given him today. In Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated.
1: If I were to ask you, whoa, coming loud. Uh, If I were to ask you what you would say is the greatest mission field of the 21st century, how would you answer that? You know, sometimes we think geographic windows. We, we think, uh, you know, 2040 window. We think of unreached people groups in different places. Think of some of the ministries. These things are all wonderful. We need to pursue them. But what about this? What if we, what if we think about the presence of pain in people's lives as the greatest mission field of the 21st century. Diane Langberg, who is a very godly counselor, has worked with trauma uh, sufferers all over the world, uh, has dealt with folks in the country, you know, going through pain. And that's what she has concluded. It's it's pain in the heart of the individual, uh, whether here in America, the pain that we experience day in, day out, whether it's the trauma victims all throughout our country, throughout the world, this pain presents itself as the greatest opportunity for the gospel to be applied to an individual's life. Uh, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, grateful for her counsel in this area. And as I was reading through this passage, uh, I was reminded of that because we see uh, four characters here. We see Jacob, we see Rachel, Leah, and we see Laban. And all of them are operating out of places of deep pain. I hope to be able to show that to you as we walk through this passage. And it made me think, you know, what how do we operate with this? How does God meet us? What are the ways that we, we um, acknowledge and don't acknowledge our pain? What are the ways that we seek to avoid pain? Because let's face it, you know, a lot of our lives, you know, last week we talked about fear and how that drives us, uh, but the same thing is true with regards to pain. A lot of our lives are oriented around avoiding pain. I, I'm very good at that. Uh, I, I don't like to enter into pain, either myself or, or somebody else's, and, and I can find lots of different ways to avoid pain. But then the biggest question, of course, is, you know, is there any hope for that? How does the gospel meet us there in Christ? And that's where I think this passage brings us to uh, in Spade. So let's, let's take that journey. Uh, and, and, and address sort of the problem of pain, and, and asking us first, you know, what are the ways that we seek to avoid it? And, and the way that I characterized it in your outline is we have this lust for perfection. Not necessarily perfection in terms of getting everything right, although that may be part of it, but we have a lust for the perfect, that, 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 that sort of platonic state that the Greeks talked about that, that doesn't have the existence of pain. And we pursue it in various ways. In this chapter, in this story, and incidentally, we're going to be casting a a little bit of a wider net than just the verses that Bob read for us this evening. In this story, uh, we see it in a number of different ways. Uh, If you remember, uh, Jacob is moving, as Bob mentioned, from his uh, father and mother's home, Isaac and Rebekah, to Pad and Aram, which was his mother's ancestors. It's a journey of of no few miles, uh, all of these things. God meets him on the way. God promises that he will be with him. Jacob makes a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And he took the stone that he had slept on and, and he set it up. So now he arrives in Padan Aram. Now, keep in mind, too, that they didn't have GPSs and all of that, so he wasn't really sure. He comes to a well. Uh, he sees some shepherds there, and he says, do you, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And, and they said, oh yeah, we know him. Uh, is it well with him? They said, yeah, it is well. And see, look, Rachel, uh, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Now, Again, Jacob has a fair amount of pain in his life. He's uh, deceived his parents. He's on the run. Uh, Esau hates him. He's uh, got a threat for his life. And now he has the opportunity to dive into god if you remember we're definitely meant to compare and contrast this well scene in chapter 29 with the well scene in chapter 24 where eliezer who is abraham's servant goes to the well Uh, if you remember there eliezer really seeks the lord some beautiful old testament prayers of him seeking the lord following after god's heart trying to discern where god is leading him I don't see any of that from Jacob. What Jacob is doing in his moment is he's being led by his eyes. We see in verse 10 that as Rachel comes up, uh, Jacob sees Rachel. And what do we know about her? Verse 17, she's beautiful in form and appearance. And, And here Jacob is distracted by saying, this is the answer to my pain. This is the answer to those things that I have been fighting against, longing for. This beautiful one, she is going to take away. She is going to take away the pain, and there is a sense in which we can really relate to that, you know, being led by our eyes, you know, the various distractions that we have in life with regards to our pain, you know, whether it is a physical form, and I think you know what I'm talking about and the ways that our eyes can lead us to medicate our pain in this day and age. You know, whether it is just, you know, checking out with our minds and binging on Netflix or Hulu or whatever it might be. These are ways that we medicate our pain similarly through our eyes, right? Rather than really seeking after God and seeking to follow Him. And within that, you know, Jacob also tries to manage the situation through his strength, through his gifts, it's such an interesting story here. There, there's these shepherds around. They, they don't move the, the stone away from the well. And again, you have the stone. Remember, it's an oral culture. Uh, there's no, people couldn't read. There's no chapter divisions or verse marks. So you go from the stone of Bethel to the stone over the well. The stone of Bethel was, rest on me, I am the Lord, right? The stone over the well, Jacob manhandles. A stone that couldn't be rolled away by no fewer than you know, several shepherds. Jacob, in a feat of prodigious strength, rolls it away his own and makes his way. How is he medicating his pain? How is he moving through it? He's moving through it with his own gifts and abilities. And we can really relate to that, you know, whether it is actual physical strength, whether it is our musical talent or our athletic prowess or whatever it might be, our academics, our, our, our personality, our charisma, we use these things to make our way through the world. Uh, one of the writers puts it, you know, Rachel definitely arrives at the well providentially. God is leading Jacob. So that's not the question, but now Jacob is working to impress Rachel rather than prayerfully studying her character as Eliezer does with Rebecca in chapter 24. So, you know, as you think about pain, how are you addressing it? You know, one of the ways that we avoid it is by relying on our gifts, the things that God has given us, our strength, our wisdom, all of these things. And then thirdly, just to note, you know, like in chapter uh, 27 and 28, uh, there's so much ingenuity of man that is being relied on. You see that with Laban. You know, Laban's very excited. You know, last time a relative came from there and sought a wife, Laban became rich. Uh, And the texts back in uh, chapter 24 very much pointed out, You know Laban's desire for this. In fact, one of the Jewish commentators uh, talking about uh, Laban and his desire to meet Jacob says he runs to him because he can't wait to see what he brought with him. When he doesn't see anything, he hugs him to see if he's hiding it on his person. And when he can't feel anything, he kisses him to see if he's got a string of pearls in his mouth. Uh, I don't know that that's actually true. Uh, but uh, there is certainly that captures the character uh, of who Laban is, and he then kicks into motion and says, you know, if I can get something, that will medicate my pain. Uh, you know, with the girls later on, as we go through this, the the young women, the wives, Leah and Rachel, as they, you know, their 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 calling, their their sense of personhood is so tied with having children. Uh, you know, they're, they're seeking to, to medicate pain through that, through their childbirth, and there's so much uh, maneuvering. You look at chapter 30, verse 14 and following, and you see this whole incident of the mandrakes, and they so, you know, all of the ingenuity. It's one of the ways in which we seek to avoid pain. So think about that on your own. You know, how does that apply to you? That's what we're always asking when we come on Sunday morning, right? We want to know where God's Word, you know, reaches into the deepest parts of who we are. And and my my position this morning is that you know pain in your life, but you try to avoid it uh, in one way or another. But I think if we're really going to get it, dealt with, we need to understand a little bit more about where it comes from, and I want to do that by moving us forward to consider the the depths of pain, acknowledge that it exists in our lives, and primarily for two reasons. Uh, These are broad reasons, and you can catch them through two characters in the story. First of all, through Jacob. Through Jacob, we see the warranted pain that is in our life. The warranted pain, the pain that we bring on ourselves. You know, so Jacob is moving, and, and God is going to deal with him. It's very interesting, these, uh, these 20 years that he is away from the promised land, from 28, uh, the end of 28, so 29, 30, 31, 32. We, we have no recorded prayers of Jacob. You know, we have Bethel, where God promises, he makes the vow. And then you would think that, you know, he would just be full of the Spirit at that moment. And he would be, you know, conversing with God. But it's not really the way it works out. And it's important that we note that in the text. Uh, But God is still working with him. He is shaping his character. And one of the ways that he's doing it is by helping Jacob to see... The way that his shortfalls, his deceptions, his sin affects other people around him and affects him. You know, so when he is there, he is there because of a deception, right? He is there because he took advantage of his father not being able to see. He deceived his touch, all of these other things. He was there because he deceived it and then the outflow of that was that Esau hated him. Esau wanted to kill him. Isaac sent him away. Rebekah thought it would be best if he went away as well. And how is it that Jacob is deceived? He's deceived by his eyes in the dark. When the light was dim, he was deceived by his touch that evening. He thought it was Rachel, but it was Leah. His ears, all of his senses... Just let him down. And when he says in verse 15, when he says, you have deceived me to Laban, he might as well have been driving the knife into his own heart because he recognized that it was his own sin, his own shortfall that had come back to haunt him. And we know that, don't we? I mean, over the years, you, you can think about that, you know, one of the ways that I think about this is just trust, you know, we talk about trust, raising kids, trust is something that takes a long time to earn, but you can lose it in a second, right, I remember a time when, when I was a kid, and uh, I'd been down in the basement, I found some matches in my dad's workroom, and uh, I, I'm curious, and, and so I lit some matches, and just watched them burn out, and uh, so a little while later, my parents come down, they're like, who's been lighting matches down here? Now, I was the only one down there, uh, but I, I just denied up and down. I mean, they could smell it. I was the one down there. you know. But I, I was adamant, and I wasn't telling the truth. And what happened was, you know, it became more difficult for my parents to believe me, to trust me. Because they say, you've lied to us before. You know, how do I know you're not lying to us again? And, and, and we see that in so many ways in our life, right? Where, where the, the consequence of our sin comes back on us. And I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You know, within our marriages, in our workplace, uh, good friends, all of these things. The, the consequence of our own sin. And so when Jacob says... Why have you deceived me? He's like, yeah, I I know why. Because, God, you are trying to teach me and shape my character in such a way that I look more like you and less like me. So those are the warranted ways in which we experience pain. But there is also the unwarranted ways. And for this, I, I, I look at Leah. You know, I'm taking the position that Leah was not complicit uh, in J- in Laban's deception. We don't know that for sure. The, the story kind of blanks on it. She did, after all, get to meet Jacob for seven years while he was working for them. Maybe she fell in love with him. Maybe she went along with Laban's plan. We don't know that. That would be going beyond what the text says. What the text says in verse 13 was that when it was night, Laban took Leah. So Laban takes Leah. So now she's the one being used, right? Not only did she start out with these weak eyes, whatever that means, some people have thought that perhaps it meant that her eyes were actually cross-eyed and that just gave her an odd appearance and she was not lovely to look at, uh, contra Rachel. Uh, But certainly she was working against something that was making her undesirable at this point. Laban had not found somebody to marry her. So she was the unseen, she was the unwanted, and now she was being used in Laban's manipulative ploy. Can you imagine the pain of that night? Can you imagine as they were making love and and Jacob is, is whispering Rachel's name and he is touching the person that he thinks is Rachel, the intimacy and the pain? that that was for Leah? You know, you get a sense of it, you know, just how Jacob felt. Behold, it was Leah. I mean, what a disappointment, right, for, for Jacob. But the pain that that would have caused her. And I think of how many of us have experienced pain that has nothing to do with what we did, but it's how other people have used us. You know Diane Langberg again. She a lot of her counseling practice in the U.S. is with those who have been sexually abused, uh, used in other really horrible ways, and, and it's inside the church as much as it is outside the church. And, and I know some of you this morning know that pain very, very deeply. Uh, But there is this broader category of pain that exists in our world that we've talked about before as the pollution of sin, right? There's the guilt of sin, the things that we do, the things that are warranted, but then there's the pollution of sin that we just see, You know, you're caught in a war situation. You haven't done anything wrong, but you are experiencing the pain of the world. A natural disaster comes upon your home. You are experiencing the pain of the world. You know, as we grow old, we experience death, we have the loss. It's the pain of being a part of the world. It's not warranted necessarily in anything that you have done. It's not that guilt, but there is pain. So, where do we go with that? You know, where do we go with all of this pain? We can try to avoid it, we do in all of those different ways, but I want to suggest to you a better way, and that is uh, to go to our God and to find in Him a source of what I am calling gracious providence. Uh, Providence is this idea, this is the way the Westminster Divines put it. It it is, uh, these are, God's providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful acts, whereby he preserves and governs all of his creatures and all of their actions. Holy, wise, powerful. It's his most holy, wise, and powerful. God's care, his sovereignty over the world, his love for his creatures, his governance of them. I want to suggest to you three ways that we see this here in this passage. The first of all, and just notice too how they contrast with the things that Jacob, Leah, Rachel, and Laban are doing. The first is this, you know, God is powerful in a way that we are not. I, you know, I'm very grateful the Holy Spirit, I think, helped me to see this in a way I hadn't seen it before this week. But, you know, Jacob was, was living by the eyes. This is where I'm going to find you know, this form, beautiful, uh, lovely woman. This is where I'm going to avoid my pain. But his eyes deceived him. And this is one of the things that you have to note about all of these stories. Your senses, your emotions, they will deceive you. Uh, You know, whether it's chapter 24 or whether it's here, you know, there is always the encouragement to find God as your rock, to find his word as your anchor, all of these things. This is what the, the stories are meant to tell us. But God's eyes never deceive him. God's ears always hear properly. Look at this. You know, Leah is what? She's the unseen and she's the unwanted. She's the one who is given under the cover of night. But in chapter 30, verse 31, God sees her. When God saw that Leah was barren, he opened her womb and he gave her children. He blessed her in that way. God was the rock who sees perfectly. His eyesight does not mislead him. He sees her. And what about Rachel? Rachel's the one who's always seen, right? She's the knockout. She's the one that you couldn't miss. When she walked into a room, you saw Rachel. But did you ever really get to know her? Did you ever get underneath the surface? Anybody ever had that experience? You know, your, your gifts, the things that God has given you. Maybe it's your appearance. Maybe it's your musical talent. Maybe it's your athletic prowess, all of these things. But you never get underneath the surface. God listens to her. Look at verse 22 of chapter 30. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Isn't that interesting? How God knows perfectly what we need. Leah needed to be seen. Rachel needed to be heard. And God meets her. He is so powerful, and he's so wise. I mean, this uh, uh, this is a mess. You've got one man and four women. When they start getting their, their handmaidens into the story and they're, you know, having these baby wars all throughout uh, chapter, the end of chapter 29 and chapter 30, uh, that's a mess, right? One man, four women, it's not a good situation. But God knows what he's doing. And it's through this situation that we get the 12 tribes We get Reuben and Levi and Simeon and Judah, and we get Joseph and Benjamin, and we get Gad and Dan and Naphtali and all of the other uh, patriarchs. God is building a nation, and he is going to do it through this messed up situation. Not only that, he is going to use these two flawed women, Leah and Rachel, and he is going to bring Joseph through Rachel, who is going to be the one who will save the people of God, And through Leah the unwanted, he is going to bring Judah. He is going to bring Judah, who is the ancestor of the Messiah. He is going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah, the son of Leah the weak-eyed. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God's ways, God's plans are so far above ours. So we sit here in the darkness, we sit in the swamp, we sit in the morass, and we don't know what we should do, and we seek to trust our feelings and our senses and all of these things, and God is saying, trust me. Trust me. My, word, my acts of providence are not only powerful, but they are wise. And I can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. Trust me. Going forward. Thirdly, they're holy. How are they holy? Look at what's before us. We have the table before us, we we have the bread that we break, we have the cup that is poured out. Here we have God Himself given for us. And this is where we walk on holy ground because when it comes to our pain, God not only is powerful to work in it, He is not only wise to supersede it, but He is also holy and compassionate and kind to enter into it with us. This is where God blows the doors off any other religion. You know, there, there is not a religion on the face of the earth that can talk about a God who enters into our pain, who becomes our pain. What does Galatians says? He becomes sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. You have pain. I mean, you can try to act your way out of it, you can try to think your way out of it, but you will never get out of it until you submit your life to a God who enters into this pain in order to take it to a cross, in order to leave it there, in order to rise to a newness of life, you know, a a promised land where there will be no more tears, he will wipe them all away, and there will be no more pain. Again, Diane Langberg, she says this, the crucified one is the one that's most traumatized. He has borne the greatest pain. He has borne the World Trade Center. He has carried the Iraq War, the destruction in Syria, the Rwandan massacres, the AIDS crisis, the poverty of our inner cities, the abused and trafficked children. He was wounded for those who have perpetrated such horrors. He has carried the griefs and sorrows of the multitude who have suffered the natural disasters of this world, earthquakes, cyclones, tsunamis. He has borne our selfishness, our complacency, our love of success, our pride. He has been in the darkness with Leah. He has known the loss of all things. He has been abandoned by his father. He has been to hell. There is no part of any tragedy that he has not known or carried. He has done this so that none of us need to face tragedy alone because he has been there before and he will go with us. And so my question to you as we come to the table this morning is, is he your God? Is he the one that you are taking all of your pain to, all of your guilt Take it in repentance. Confess before the Lord. Lord, I've done this, 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 and this. And God is pleased to hear that and to forgive that. He is making Jacob into a patriarch. It's unbelievable. Take your pollution. God, you know all of the junk that has happened in my life. And I want to bring it to you. And he says, yes, I know. I've been there, I've borne it all, and I will continue to bear it with you until that day when there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. If you believe those things, come, the table is set for you. Uh, You are given this in order that it might nourish your heart and soul, in order that you might soar to the realities that go beyond the pain of this world. If you haven't confessed that Lord and Savior, uh, you know the the invitation is to come and to find Him in repentance and prayer. I would encourage you just let the elements pass by because in and of themselves they point to the reality and they they're not the reality. They can't save you, so you're not going to receive grace just by taking a piece of bread or drinking a cup. But it's as you receive Christ, the pain bearer, that's where you receive grace. So I'm going to pray, set these elements apart for the Lord's work, and then we're going to come together to the table, and we're going to celebrate the God who takes away our pain. Elders, if you want to find your way to the front while I'm praying, that's great. Father, we give you praise for your mercy to us. We ask that you would meet us here at this table this morning, that you would remind us that you are our pain bearer, that you have taken it away, that you have borne it on this cross that we remember today. Father, we pray that you would help us to look to you in every place to avoid avoidance uh, and to find our rest solely in you. I particularly pray this morning, Father, for those that are here that are not member of, of your Uh, of your body, of your son. They haven't put their faith and trust. They're holding stuff back. They're not throwing all of their pain, either guilt or pollution, on you. I ask that today would be the day that you would convict them of their need for you to take away their pain. Father, we thank you again for this table. We offer it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.